This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This is the Hot Stove Show on Seattle Sports. Presented by Hatback Bar and Grill. Streaming live on the Seattle Sports app and at seattlesports.com. Yes, it is time for the hot stove once again. Welcome back, Gary Hill. Shannon Dreyer here. Shannon, it is great to see you as always. Good to see you too. We're still here. We're in Seattle, but we <laughs> are getting so close. I uh, just yesterday I took out the big bag and brought it upstairs. The big bag that goes with me everywhere during the course of the baseball season, and mm-hmm. for the winter it gets put away under the basement stairs. I don't see it all winter and I just I brought out because my spring training packing is really just walking around the house and living my daily life and remember like oh yeah I'm going to need that and then I throw it in the bag so for like a three week stretch the bag just sits in my office and I throw stuff in it so you show up in Arizona with nothing but fleeces and, it's just and ran- baby yeah, caps and everything random. else and then you have to go shopping yeah usually yes that's usually the case uh it, is, it might be a little chilly when we get there. It's a, it's an early. It's a long spring because of the WBC. I've been thinking about that. Yeah, I think I'm down there a week earlier than I normally am. Yeah. So we will have to adjust, and that we dare I say might need to bring boots. We're still calling you the voice of spring, right? Oh, I forgot about that. Yes, absolutely. I am the official voice of spring. <laughs> yes. It's going to usher in what is going to be a tremendous baseball season, and the voice of summer can take it once we get on the <laughs> Yes. I love the sound of that. Uh, I am really looking forward to this show. We are going to have Scott Service on, Mariner's manager. Mm-hmm. That's going to come up at the beginning of the show in just a few minutes. We're going to have Cooper Hummel on, get to know him a little bit. He, it's about time. Yeah, it is about he time. He was signed when? Yeah, it was it was a while. Uh, or trade. Trade, yeah. Yes. It, was one, it was early in the offseason. Yes. Yeah, very early. So, yes, it's time we learn about this Cooper Hummel. Portland, Oregon. <laughs> grew up a Mariner's fan. I think you're really going to enjoy the Versatile. conversation. Yeah. And speaking of growing up Mariner's fan... We're going to talk to Dave Cameron. And I know a lot of Mariner fans, they hear the name Dave Cameron. It's like, ah, yes. I have been waiting for this for so long, and I've been suggesting it at the radio station as well. He's hard to get. This is a big get. I don't know if you understand. This is a big get. He's busy. He is busy and uh, so important to the Mariners. But so fascinating along so many different lines. You can't just have one segment with Dave Cameron. You've got to have two. Yes, we're going to have two segments. It is a great story. Grew up a Mariners fan, USS Mariner, if you don't know. They went to Fangrass for a decade and started working for the Padres after that. The Padres hired him in their front office, and now he's a full-time member of the Seattle Mariners front office. Uh, The Mariners fan 
who was writing about the Mariners that got all this started is now helping make decisions and helping shape the Mariners roster. I think the whole thing is incredible. I love it. It happens, and it just speaks to the diversity of baseball right now and just so many different angles that you attack this sport. It's no longer just eyes. There are different, Mm. so many, and it's not just a scouting eye. There are so many different ways to look at this game, and everybody's looking for that little bit of extra. So, uh, you never know. And and Dave is far from the only who has gone from uh, the website to a front office. Yes, that has definitely been a trend. He's one of the first, though, which uh, one of the groundbreakers. Jeff Sullivan, too, was also riding with him. Was in opposing Tampa teams. They were opposing <laughs> blogs. Best of friends. But <laughs> right. opposing te- blogs and then opposing teams, which is just awesome. It's so great. And, and both quite good. Very good, yes. Uh, that conversation is going to be fun. We'll talk to Steve Sparks, one of our favorites. The Astros, I find so fascinating. Just everything kind of going on surrounding them. Of course, they won the World Series. They're going to be really good again this year. But especially the front office situation, there's there's a lot of things going on that I'm interested in. Yeah, they've kind of been the blueprint, and there's still things yeah. that you can look to them for that, especially. I mean, you look at the Mariners, and some of the progression is very similar. So if you mm-hmm. want to kind of wonder what next, that sometimes is a good place to look. But all of a sudden, this offseason, kind of a wrench thrown in that, and a big one. An yeah. absolutely big one with what has happened with the front office. Yeah, and Steve Sparks always gives us great insight and everything going on there. And he's as dialed in as anybody with every team in baseball. He knows as much about the Mariners as anyone else. It's pretty amazing. Absolutely. And a great guy to boot. Yes, absolutely. Uh, is a great guy, no doubt. He would say the same of us. Uh yeah. I think he's so. A, he's I a good guy. So. He would. The NFL playoffs in full swing. The Hatback Bar and Grill is the perfect place to catch all the action. Come out this Sunday for the NFC and AFC Championship. Enjoy the great game day vibe. Visit hatback.com to make a reservation today. We have the Mariners manager, Scott Service, coming up right after this. Hot Stove continues. The Hot Stove Show on Seattle Sports. Presented by Hatback Bar and Grill. Welcome back to the Hot Stove. Gary Hill, Shannon Dreyer with you, brought to you by Steelheads Alley as we have Scott Service, Mariners manager with us. Scott, it's great to chat with you. How's your offseason going? It's going great, guys. Uh, it gets really short. There's no doubt about that. And we're, we're, we're coming up on, on spring training here uh, really shortly. And I'm excited. I'm excited to get back. Obviously, we had a really, uh, you know, a tremendous season last year. And, you know, with a couple of additions we have to our ball club, everybody's anxious to get back together and see what 2023 can bring us. So I'm um, looking forward to it. Scott, let's take it back a little bit. How do you unpack everything that not just the entire season, but that last week? How, how long did it take to kind of just uh, get into your off season? It took a while. I got to, <laughs> I got to be honest, Shannon, um, you know, with the way our season ended with, you know, we're in such a high and, you know, the, the, the big game, certainly the, the series with Houston didn't go our way, but or, you know, getting a chance to reflect and look back. I'm really proud of our team. I thought we played extremely well, very competitive, obviously. Just, you know, a swing of the bat here or there, a pitch here or there. It certainly could have gone a, a different direction for us. But what a year. I mean, we take so much from it. Certainly getting in the playoffs the first time in a long time will, will help uh, a relatively. You know, we're a very young team still. I know it's going to help us going forward. What did you learn about yourself as a manager guiding your team through that season and all the big games and playoff games along the way? 
Uh, I think I've learned a lot through the years. Um, you know, last year was my seventh year uh, on the job. I think the biggest thing is just like uh, the, the value of really listening to players and, and the people around me. And, you know, I, I have so much uh, trust and confidence in our coaching staff and, you know, what they bring to the mix and kind of the group of uh, our staff put together. We really, you know, we bring different levels of experience, different levels of uh, just, uh, you know, what we do and then being at the top of our game and what we do. So learning how to lean on the people around me, uh, I think I've gotten much better uh, with that through the years. And But ultimately, it's about the players. Uh, I've said that since day one. And what we have going right now in our, our clubhouse and on our rosters is a really good thing. We've got guys that certainly understand our standards and, and how we go about our work and kind of the environment around our team. And then we've got guys that you know, are holding each other accountable and that's what it takes, uh, I think, to take the next step to get to the next level. And players believe in what we're doing. We've got good players. We've got good young players and we have a hungry fan base. So, uh, you know, what else do you need? And it's been great, you know, looking at our team and watching this thing come together and, you know, seeing some of the young players come up, the trades we've made, the free agent signings, the whole thing coming together has been, been a lot of fun. Scott, a few weeks ago, I was kind of going through some of uh, the things that we did, listening to some interviews, reading some posts and whatnot that were written, and something that jumped out at me, and I'm glad I did this because it wasn't something that was top of mind, but a real interesting development last season was there was a point in time where uh, you look at whatever the expectations were on this team, but I, I think everybody wanted them to get to the postseason, and a lot of people thought, well, it'd be great if they got into a wild card game and played a wild card round. At some point, and I don't know where it was driven, but I know you were there, and then I was hearing it from player after player after player. There was a true belief, and I'm not, you know, I'm talking true belief, that you were more than a wild card team. Your goals were bigger than that. Then to a man, uh, I think it was in guys' heads that, you know what, we can take this the distance. How did that evolve? Where did that come from? Confidence certainly grew yeah, with our team. We had the great stretch there through July, the 14-game winning streak. Um, we, we were winning big series against the best teams in the league, and not just the playoffs. And we're a team that can go deep in the playoffs and, and get to the World Series. And certainly the, the acquisition of Luis Castillo added a lot to that. When you go out, of course, uh, we, we just—it's—it's it's a good group to be around. Like I said, as the confidence grew. I think, you know, I started talking about it. We're better than just a wild card team, and we're not finished, and we're just getting started. And all those type of comments that, that I and my coaching staff made, and the players start talking about it. And that's really when you know you got to go on. So we learned a lot uh, ourselves last year, but we're really fired up about, you know, moving this ball down the field and, and looking ahead. Yeah, looking ahead to next year, how do you approach and talk about the expectations when you start meeting with your group in a few weeks? Well, I think it's not something you have to uh, have a team meeting and say, okay, guys, here's the expectations this year. Ah, not really wired that way. I think everybody understands, you know, what we've accomplished last year, but it's last year. And, and I made a comment oftentimes that each team, each season has its own personality. It really does. Mm. Um, and we look back to 2021 and we finished the season so strong there. You just thought we were going to continue to roll. And then, wasn't going so easy for us in April and May, and we kind of had to come up with a different identity. And each team takes on its own identity. So as far as the expectations and whatnot, obviously the expectation, you know, the, the goal is to win the division. It ain't going to be easy. 
Certainly, the Astros won it all last year, and they've got a really good club again. But that's that's the goal: win the division, get in the playoffs, and see where it goes from there. Who have you been uh, keeping in touch with this off season? Have you checked in on uh, players, or are there guys that you've kind of uh, kept a closer watch of others, or it's a short one, and they've got this is their time right now? Well, we try to give players space. I think that's really important at this time. We spent so much time together. Once we get together in, in Arizona here, spring training, you're just with these guys every day. So you get players space, but you, you check just four or five guys that are trying to maybe make some major changes or overhaul. And, and the off season is really the time to make a major change. It's so hard to make physical adjustments throughout the course of the season as you're trying to go out there and compete at such a high level. So, you know, if you want a guy that's going to change something in his stance or his approach or his swing path, you know, that's constantly going on. Our hitting coaches, and I'm getting updates there, and I'll, I'll check in with some guys. Other guys, you know, we, we adjust maybe some of the the off-season workload as they come into spring uh, spring training, you know, with the, the load that George Kirby put on last year, Logan Gilbert. You know, we want to be – I don't want those guys coming out and firing 98 miles an hour on day one of spring training. It does us no good. <laughs> you know, we, we have to kind of be careful in how we ramp up. And like I mentioned earlier, our – our pitching coaches, our hitting coaches, our staff is really on it and talk with the guys. And, you know, it's family. You want to give the guys a little space, but they also want to stay a little bit close enough. So, you know, you do have an idea where they're at health-wise and making sure they're ready to go. Tell us your thoughts on the addition of Teoscar Hernandez. He can hit homers. <laughs> I know that. We saw it firsthand. Um, he's a very accomplished player. Um, he's been, you know, one of the more consistent guys. I say that and if you look back at his, his season last year, he got off to just a, a really rough start. I think he, you know, we saw him early in the year when we were in Toronto, and, and probably, frankly, we, we handled him pretty easily. You could just tell his timing was off and whatnot, but he quickly got it right. And you know, that, a guy that's going to do damage, uh, you know, against righties, against lefties, it really doesn't matter. Uh, getting a chance to talk to him, um, he's excited. Uh, I think it's going to be a great game for us. Who are you most interested to get your eyes on this spring? Oh, uh, there's a couple of guys. I know that uh, D.P. Crawford has done a lot of work this offseason in the weight room and his strength and conditioning uh, training and what he's doing there. So, you know, anxious to, to see how that looks as we get going with spring training. I think, you know, you're always looking forward to seeing some of the younger players, you know, and you know, I don't think anybody's worked as hard as Jared Kelnick and Taylor Trammell have this offseason trying to make some adjustments in their swing to allow them to be more consistent. So definitely uh, anxious to see those guys, uh, see how Tom Murphy's progressing. You know, Murph uh, was out almost the whole year last year, uh, with left shoulder injury. He's back. He's ready to go. He's really anxious. Uh, you know, those are the guys on a roster. I think, you know, uh, the Harry Fords, the Bryce Miller, some of the younger players that will be in camp. I'm always anxious to see you hear so much about them. And I know our player development staff, our scouting staff, you know, so high on these players. So getting to be around them every day through spring training is always. Yeah, it's going to be interesting this year with so many different rule changes. Uh, I'm interested in your thoughts on the shift restriction and how much do you think it will impact the game this year? I think it's going to impact uh, the game quite a bit in, in a positive way. We need more action in our game. You know, you see just pitching just dominating the game here the last few years and how hard it is to get hits and base runners and getting action going on the bases. So uh, eliminating the shift will certainly help that. I think we've got some guys that will take advantage of that. You know, Cal Raleigh and, and, and Derek Kalnick are the left-handed hitters are the ones that are, are hurt by it the most. So I think it's going to be a big change in the game. And also it'll change how you look at defensive players. You know, a big part of what we do is run prevention. 
uh, driven by our pitching and, and our defense. Um, you know, Colton Wong is a, is a great uh, you know reputation of being an outstanding defender. So, um, a guy that's good. We're going to have to do a, a good job trying to get him in the right spots on the dirt on the infield. But it'll be a little bit different look. I think fans will like it. Now the pitching side, um, Diego Castillo. <laughs> Has there been any pre-work on speeding things up with him with a pitch clock yet? <laughs> it's, it's odd that you'd bring that up, Shannon. <laughs> so, um, you know, the, the pitch clock is going to be a little bit of an adjustment. And, uh, you know, the amount of time, you know, you've got 15 seconds, time that ball gets in your hand when you're on the dirt to deliver a pitch. It's also going to speed up the hitters. I don't think people realize that. So some hitters like to really slow it down. They like to uh, digest the pitch they just saw and making sure they're clear in their mind what they're looking for as they step in for the next pitch. But the hitters got to be in box ready to go uh, with eight seconds. It'll affect some guys more than others. Certainly, Diego, it's going to be a big thing in spring training games. Um, people will be staring at clock a lot early on until it just becomes you know part of what we do. So uh, the one thing I know about baseball players is they can adjust. Diego's one at uh, the top of my list as well, Shannon. We're going to have to talk in a little bit about that. Hey, do you anticipate with some of the changes that we'll see more out of the running game, baseball-wide? I do, Gary. I think that's going to be the biggest change, uh, along with batting average going up and some more action there. Uh, you're going to have more guys on base. And, you know, everybody said, well, it's a big deal. The you know, bases are going to be a little bit bigger. Uh, it doesn't sound like a big deal, but it actually is. And, Probably one of the bigger things is, you know, the pitchers will be limited to the number of pickoff throws at the first base. Mm. You know, once you pick over twice, if you pick over the third time uh, within the course of one at-bat against the same runner over there and he's safe, it's an automatic balk and he moves up a base. Well, Scott, thank you so much for the time. We really appreciate it. We'll see you here uh, coming up in a few weeks. Uh, I look forward to it, guys. Thanks for having me on. And uh, like I said, just a couple weeks away from spring training and can't wait to get down there and get going with our new club. There it is, Mariners manager Scott Service. You can get to all the Mariners action this season with a flex membership. Choose the games and seats you want all season long. Plus, save at least 10% on tickets that get priority presale access to the 2023 All-Star Week. Come on board, Mariners.com slash flex. We have a very fun conversation coming up next. We're going to check in with Dave Cameron, now part of the Mariners front office. We'll talk about his journey, what he does now for the Mariners. All that coming up next as the hot stove continues right after this. The Hot Stove Show on Seattle Sports. Presented by Hackback Bar and Grill. Welcome back to the Hot Stove. Great to have you with us tonight. Gary Hill, Shannon Dre with you as we get a chance to visit with Dave Cameron, who has just a great job title, Senior Director of Player Procurement for the Seattle Mariners. Dave, thank you so much for the time. We really appreciate it. No, I'm happy to be here. I'm excited that someone else likes my title. I uh, I always have to explain what it is, and so I'm, I'm glad you guys are excited about it. Oh, we're going to ask that question, that's for sure. But first, I want to talk about your background a little bit. I know a lot of Mariner fans are very aware of who you are and your background, but I know there's a lot of Mariner fans who aren't. So for me, uh, I'm excited because when I was reading about the Mariners, you were the first that I remember USS Mariner, Dave Cameron, the first, you know, outside of like the newspaper <laughs> story, the first time I remember reading someone writing about the Mariners. And for me, it was, it was eye opening. It was this whole new world opened up for me. If I were to have told USS Mariner, Dave Cameron, that 
X number of years later, Dave Cameron would be helping shape the Mariners roster and acquiring players. What would you have said? Yeah, I mean, it's crazy. Uh, like, you know, I even go back to like, you know, growing up in SeaTac, uh, listening to games on the radio, you know, like uh, we didn't have a TV when I was a kid. So like I fell in love with baseball through Dave Meehouse, like talking to me about, you know, Harold Reynolds and Dave Valley and Scott Bankhead and Dave Fleming and all these guys, like, you know, obviously the good teams later, but I grew up with the bad teams. Right. And like in the, the late eighties, early nineties was like kind of my cutting my teeth on baseball and just really like, that kid getting to like have an impact and work for the Seattle Mariners, just like I'm doing, you know, the inner kid inside me is doing backflips. The USS Mariner guy who was like asking Bill Bavese to like not do all the things that he just kept doing over and over, like, you know, asking the organization to like look at players differently uh, for, for me to get to sit in the chair and get to talk to Jerry and Justin and these guys and, and get to weigh in and, and be part of a team uh, building, a, you know, a roster that made the playoffs for the first time in 20 years. And uh, it's just really cool. I mean, this is like, a, you know, I, I'm a writer at heart and, like, this is an awesome story. I hope that someone someday uh, writes down like the, you know, the ridiculousness of my career path, because I could not have possibly uh, imagined that this would come to pass. Yeah, it seems like you opened doors, though. I mean, to me, it seemed like you were the first really to go from the blog to the front <laughs> office, which was huge. And I mean, Gary and I are geeking out a little bit. We were both huge fans. I actually commented on USS Mariner <laughs> every now and then a long, long time ago. I think under an alias i'm not sure about a long time ago but uh, just you know how does when you look back at that was there any shot in your mind that this could turn into that it was a different kind of access yeah. and a different different eyes and baseball had, has you know now values that yeah, I think at that time, I really kind of saw myself as a writer and not like, I didn't see myself as someone working to be in a front office. I think like the people that I saw that teams were hiring were significantly more technical, right? Like they were the PhDs from MIT. They were the guys who could sit down at a computer and build a projection system. They were going after Nate Silver. Like they were going after a different kind of analyst, right? They were going after the more technical kid right out of school who knew machine learning and, you know, robotics and physics. I didn't have any of that, right? Like I was an econ major who was like, I had an accounting background and was running a blog because I missed my team and I lived 3,000 miles away. And like, I didn't see myself as kind of like the type of analyst that teams were interested in. I really saw myself as like someone who had always wanted to kind of like write about baseball or talk about baseball. Uh, you know, honestly, like at some point in my career, I thought I was gonna be like a talk radio host. Right. And so this was like a kind of modern talk radio, but not live. Right. It was like my, my platform was, uh, was not into a microphone. It was with a keyboard. And so I really saw myself more in that vein. It was like a member of the media, never really imagined that like this would lead to a, a career on the inside. I think when the Padres called in 2017 and had kind of broached the idea of like, Hey, do you want to work for us? Um, you know, I think at that point, even then I was really skeptical that I would be a good fit for them. I was like, you know, I'm, I'm just a writer, right? Like I'm, I'm not what you need. Um, and then having to spend four years in San Diego and now kind of hang out with the Mariners last year and, and be full-time this year, really kind of seeing uh, what a modern front office looks like and that you don't necessarily have to be just the MIT PhD guy who's like really good at robotics or physics or whatever. Like there's spots in the, in the organization for um, people with my skill set has like really been eye opening and, and something surprising. This is definitely not a plan. I didn't start USS Mariner or go to Fangraphs thinking this was going to lead to a career in the front office, uh, but I'm excited that it has. What shaped how you looked at baseball and wrote about baseball in those early days? 
Man, that's a great question. So I grew up, uh, like I said, in the South Sound, um, went to a really small school. I didn't have friends who were like diehard baseball fans. My parents were not sports fans. Like it wasn't like a thing in my house, right? I was the baseball fan in our house. We got my parents and my brother into it, uh, but I didn't have friends to like talk baseball with. Uh, so way back in the early 90s, there was a thing called Usenet, which is like uh, basically like kind of Reddit. Kind of like similar to the, today, but you know, not not nearly as well functioned. Uh, so there was a there was a Mariner news group uh, called Alt Baseball Sea Mariners, and there were a bunch of guys on there who you know were forty five years old. I was like twelve or thirteen or whatever, right? But they would talk about Bill James and Rob Nyer and the guys who went on to found Baseball Prospectus would post on these things. And so I just found like these really smart, interesting baseball uh, people who I could argue with, and I would tell them what I heard on TV and that they didn't know what they were talking about, and they would tell me that I was just a kid and I should go do my whole work uh but i we just found a bunch of like older really intense baseball fans to like kind of just have baseball conversations because i didn't have other 12 or 13 year olds who wanted to talk baseball with um and like i mentioned like rob nyer at that point at like i think it was called espn net sport zone or something uh was writing his columns and was like kind of by bill james uh and so rob was kind of like one of the ones who showed me that you could write about kind of nerdier baseball things in less nerdy ways right rob was probably a more approachable writer um and i think rob was probably the biggest influence on my career early on just to be clear, I mean, you were not just a baseball fan. You were a Mariners fan. Yeah, yeah. I was a massive Mariners fan growing up in the South Sound. Dave Meows was my idol. Uh, I wanted to be Dave Meows until I realized that my voice was not not conducive to a long-term career in broadcasting. Uh, but yeah, I was, a, I was a huge Mariner fan. Like I mentioned, we didn't have a TV until I was 10. Uh, so I grew up on the radio, listening to games, uh, and then eventually making my parents get me a bus pass so I could take the bus from South Center to, to downtown and go watch games. And I was a, I was a huge Mariner fan. Uh, really, like, I went to Dave Valley's baseball camp when I was 10 years old, and actually, like, I met Randy Johnson after he got traded and like he was the guy at the table that no one wanted his autograph because he wasn't famous at that time. Julio Cruz was like two tables over and everyone was standing in line for Julio Cruz. And I just went and hung out with like this 6'10 gangly Randy Johnson guy <laughs> that no one had ever heard of. So uh, I was a huge Mariner fan early in, in my life and, and, you know, obviously remain a big Mariner fan uh, today. I have to ask, it was one of my favorite scenes on clinch night when we got let into the clubhouse. There you were. And it yeah, just all cool. seemed to come full, full circle. What was that like for you? It was amazing. I mean, you know, realistically for Jerry and Justin to make room for me uh, to be in that space, to get to watch these guys celebrate 20 years of frustration kind of coming to an end and like just how much it meant for the city to be able to be in the, in the clubhouse watching these guys dump champagne on each other. Uh, really just a surreal moment. Like one of those things that I will remember for the rest of my life for sure. Well, given Dave Niehaus was your idol this spring, we've got to have you call a couple of batters. We've got to be in the booth. We got to hear some Dave Cameron play by play of a couple of batters. We have to. I will do my best. I will not have any good catchphrases. I don't have any rye breads. I don't have the my oh my, but I'll, I'll do my best to not embarrass myself. <laughs> well, I think about what you were writing about at the time and it was, it was so different than everything else. And now, you know, it's, it's more mainstream to watch yeah. the progression. What do you think about the progression when you see where everything has gone? I mean, it's fascinating, right? I think like, you know, Jeff Sullivan, who uh, wrote a look at landing another Mariner yeah. blog, you know, he works with the Bay Rays now. Him and I are still good friends. We talk about this all the time. I actually think one of the interesting things, if you look at these pockets of like where baseball writers come from, like Bill James and Rob Nyer and Randy Gisarelli and Jeff Passan are all from Kansas City, right? And like Jeff and I, and there's others who come in here out of, out of Seattle. I actually think like writing about a losing team and following a losing team that is like just really behind and the Mariners were like just really behind and how they viewed player analysis for a long time. 
it actually is, it does like spark some kind of like ability for outside thinkers to just have a voice, right? It's like if you're if you're writing about the Rays, like uh, you know, I'm sure there are really good Rays bloggers out there, but it's probably really hard to just be like, they did the smart thing again. You know, like it's like a really <laughs> difficult column to write. It's like, yep, they made another good trade and we're gonna have a small payroll and somehow win anyway, right? Like that's this is probably just like a difficult column to write every single time they make a transaction. Um, but I think the you know the Mariners or for the, the Royals and the Bill James, Rob Nyer days, uh, have just created a lot of fodder for like interesting conversation. Like, what else could they have done? Literally anything. They could have done anything else. They didn't have to acquire Carl Everett and hit him fourth, right? Like, uh, there were a bunch of different decisions they could have made along the way. Um, and so I think like just the fact that the team was really bad from 2003 to 2019 or whatever, uh, created a bit of a fertile ground for people like me to just have a voice, to have conversations about how the organization could pivot, how they can do things differently, how they can look at players differently. Uh, I think if I had been, if I had grown up in, you know, the Bronx or something and just wrote about the Yankees instead, I probably wouldn't have had a baseball career because like, it's just a lot harder to write about teams that just win a hundred games every year. Yeah. We're visiting with Dave Cameron, Senior Director of Player Procurement. And yes, we are going to ask the question what that is. When we come back, it's the hot stove. We'll be back with more right after this. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. The Hot Stove Show on Seattle Sports. Presented by Hotback Bar and Grill. Welcome back to the Hot Stove. Great to have you with us. Gary Hill, Shannon Dreyer, Dave Cameron, Senior Director of Player Procurement. Now, you've said you described what this means. So tell everyone, what exactly does this mean? Yeah, so I think uh, when Jerry was uh, trying to come up with a title for what, what I was going to do here, uh, you know, the Mariners already have a lot of people who kind of live in the spaces that I, you know, what I did in San Diego, I kind of like oversaw the research and development team, the analytics team with the Padres, obviously managed fan graphs for a long time, uh, overseeing a bunch of analysts. And the Mariners already have that, right? Like they have a really well built out Jesse Smith, Joel Furman, a bunch of these guys who've been here for a long time already running the analytics departments. They didn't need that. And so like um, trying to figure out where I would fit it was much more of like a let's come up with an idea that like complements what already exists. I'm not here to like build something new. The Mariners are no longer behind. Like they've got really smart people doing really smart things. Uh, and it's one of the reasons why the team is good now. And so I think what we just talked through is like one of the things that I like doing is player evaluation. Right. And so like there are aspects of kind of building models and doing the technical work that I can you know, sit in and, and be part of a meeting on, but I don't need to oversee that stuff. There are people way smarter than me doing that now. Um, and so I can just be on the side, on the side of the room and not really have like a, you know, a real strong hand in, in what's being done there. But I, when it comes to like, Hey, which player should we acquire? Do we want to play right field? Uh, you know, what, uh, what player in the draft do we want to talk about? Um, are there interesting international players coming over from Japan or Korea or, you know, are there interesting markets emerging where you could go get new talent and should we go scout those areas? This is just an area that is always, 
uh, you know, been of interest to me. It's something I wrote about a ton at USS Mariner and Fangraphs over the years. Um, and so we just kind of like carved out a player evaluation space where I can be part of the team that talks about players. Uh, and when it comes to, you know, kind of any, any acquisition of, of a player coming to the organization, um, I can just be part of the conversation. Right. And so I don't have to, I don't have to necessarily run the research and development departments like I did in San Diego. Um, here I can just, you know, sit around with six, seven, eight, nine other people who have expertise in their area and just spitball ideas. And, uh, it's a really, it's a really unique job. So I know you're just getting into this, but what do you envision a normal day looking like for you? Yeah, man, it's uh, fascinating. I've realized that there is no such thing as a normal day, right? Every day is pretty different. I do think like one of the things that I'm learning on the inside rather than being on the outside is how many people there are who have like really interesting ideas, really interesting concepts. And right, there's only so many conversations that Jerry and Justin can have throughout the organization. There just isn't time for them to sit down and talk with, you know, 150 people and hear all of their ideas. So I think one of the things that I've take it upon myself is like, let me go find some of these people who work in the organization who have really interesting concepts, who, if they had an hour with Jerry or Justin, they would float out something that we should definitely go do. Right. And so I'm trying to put myself in situations where I can find these people who uh, have fascinating concepts, have ideas that can help make the Mariners win the division uh, or make the playoffs for the, you know, the next five, 10 years, um, put myself in situations where I can have conversations with them and then try to figure out how I can surface their ideas or like help be a springboard for their, their concept to get in, in, in like a larger play in the organization. So I think uh, one of the things I'm realizing coming in, you know, over the last four or five months is the Mariners have like a ton of really valuable um, just high level thinkers in place and people who have like uh, chances to really impact this organization. And so a lot of what I'm doing every day is just trying to develop those relationships and develop uh, abilities for, you know, uh, me to be able to take their ideas or take, take them into Jerry and Justin's office and be like, Hey, you should talk to this person. Let's go spend an hour with them, hear what they have to do. So uh, player procurement is definitely like, can be a lonely occupation, just like flipping through leaderboards and flipping through stat pages and being like, I want this guy. But I do think that the Mariners are in a, a really good position to have a lot of people who are looking at players across the board and whatever I can do to, to kind of surface their ideas and kind of build collaboration. Um, that's something that, I've, you know, early on in my Mariner career here has been pretty important to me. Earlier, you alluded to Tampa Bay. Now, you talked about Jesse Smith and Joel Furman and all the smart people in the org. How competitive is it in Major League Baseball finding the next thing or finding that advantage that you're looking for? It's wild. I mean, like, you know, I think when I was writing at USS Mariner, there were like five or 10 teams who had an analyst. And if you had an analyst, you were ahead of the curve, right? And now every single team in baseball has a very large research and development department. I went through and actually did a survey uh, last year looking at like the average size. The average team now has an R&D department. People who like essentially write code uh, somewhere between like 14 and 16 people. That's the average now, right? It was like eight, like three years ago. It was like growing dramatically. Uh, there's a ton of, I would say emphasis on like the player movement space. So like one of the things that we've seen is like, you know, we used to have box score data, right? Like this guy went two for four with a home run and three RBIs. And then it got into like ball tracking, right? Where you had like the track mandate of the ball was at 112 miles an hour at this angle, or the pitch was thrown with like this amount of break. And so you had ball tracking. Now we're kind of in like the player tracking data where we can really kind of like look at how a player's 
mechanics move and like there's like skeletal breakdowns with you know, really cool high speed cameras and teams are going very fast in this like player movement direction where instead of saying like, okay, he hit a home run. It's because he hit the ball hard. It's like, how did he hit the ball hard? Right. We're going even another level down now. And so these are like real scientists kind of would, would go work at, you know, Carnegie Mellon or something uh, or the university of Washington who would otherwise be trying to solve cancer. We're now pulling them into baseball and being like, Hey, can you help this guy hit the ball a little harder or put a little more spin on this curveball? Uh, I think the level of expertise has just changed dramatically and uh there's some just you know every day i'm just confronted with like some of the smartest people i've ever worked with um and you know there's 50 of them (laughs) you know like in every organization there's just like unbelievably smart people all trying to solve these really interesting problems you're talking exactly about something that has fascinated me with the changes that we have seen with the technology with what we know about human beings and physiology and, and biomechanics and everything else how do you even evaluate a player anymore? It used to be all well, three years. They are what they are, but I don't think that is necessarily the case anymore when they can go to a driveline, when they can get an evaluation, when they can go to work. How does that impact what you do and how you look at players today and what they are? Yeah, I think one of the things that I realized about myself is like when I was at Fangraphs, a huge part of what we did was just like tell people to trust the projections. Like there's public projection systems like Zips or Steamer or Dakota Baseball Prospectus that have been out there for years, just like taking an average of the last players, you know, three, four, five years, time waiting it, doing some park adjustments, and basically saying, like, hey, this guy is hit, you know, on average, he's hit 287, he's this old, it's been in this park. This is basically what you can expect. My general feeling now is like, you know, there's still value in that in those kinds of systems. They still do a pretty good job of giving you a baseline but if you don't know that this player just went and added you know three new pitches this offseason or just came up and spent like three months at driveline uh coming up with a pitch design and his slider is going to be an entirely different pitch this year it's nine miles an hour harder has a totally different break profile he's going to throw it different like he's not the same pitcher he just has a different arsenal than he did a year ago how you're going to run a, a past for historical projection on someone who just changed all of their pitches over the offseason you can't do it right and so i think one of the things we've seen like there's been a huge development on player development development you know in in baseball over the last say five years right where players are just becoming uh they're just having access to tools that they haven't had access to previously information they haven't had previously and i just don't i think the idea of like a ceiling has just gone away right like they're you know we talk about in the draft like this guy has a high ceiling this guy is like probably more of like a you know bench utility player like a lot of these like mookie Betts was a bench utility player until he turned into the second best player in baseball right and like this idea that a player is just kind of limited by what he is and what he's done is just not really true anymore We've seen tons of guys who just overhaul their repertoires, overhaul their strength training, add 20 pounds, get five miles of extra bat speed, whatever it is, they just become physically different players. And I think what we've had to do is really adapt and say like, we're not going to so much look at historical performance to project players going forward. We're looking at their physical skills and we're trying to evaluate, like if you can swing a bat this fast and if you can, uh, you know, make contact on a swing that has like this kind of swing plane. And if you can hit these kinds of pitches in this part of the zone, then you can be a good player. And now we're trying to identify those skills that drive a good player rather than just being like, you've had a good performance for the last three years and you're 28 years old. You're probably going to age pretty well. That just doesn't really work in baseball that well anymore. You know, along those lines, we we talked to Paul Sewell last week, who has changed himself as a pitcher. And obviously, Mariners have seen that the last couple of years. It was interesting in the conversation to think about the organization, the analysts where you're at, the coaching staff and the player and how the synergy all works to benefit the player. How do you think about that? How important is that 
that everyone's on the same page. It is the most important thing. So I think like, you know, I mentioned that every team has a bunch of analysts and a bunch of really smart people trying to solve these problems. What every team does not have that I do think Mariners have uh, have established really well is that communication like down to the coaches, down to the bottom. And it's like that synergy where like, it's not the analysts lecturing the coach on here's what you need to do. It is two people who believe fundamentally the same thing, that they're trying to solve a problem. They're going to work together. They have complementary skills. The coaches are bought in. The players are bought in. The front office is bought in. What I've seen in my time in Seattle is a real buy-in from the coaching staff and the players and, you know, on the major league side, the minor league side, all throughout the organization to work with the front office where it is hand in hand. We're going to tackle this problem together. Uh, I think the idea of like, you know, the old stats versus scouts or the front office versus the coaches, like that's, that's not a thing in Seattle anymore. And I think it's one of the reasons why the Mariners are so successful is like, they're able to bring people like Paul Seawold into the organization and like the coaching staff and the analysts and all the people throughout the entire organization, the biomechanists, everyone can sit down and say like, how can we help Paul Seawold be the best version of himself? Right. And there's a plan put in place. The player can buy in, the coaches can buy in and everyone's preaching the same thing and helping Paul Seawald become one of the best relievers in baseball. It's been fascinating to watch that buy-in. And I think there's some skepticism that you would ever see that at the big league level, but that's baseball now, isn't it? Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, like, you know, the average age of these coaches is like 32 years old or something, right? Like the idea of this like long-term gray beard guy who played in the seventies and like is now your manager. Like there are definitely people like that still around and like super valuable experience to have the history of baseball. But I think the ones who uh, are still working in dugouts and are still working with players are ones who have, who have adapted to kind of the modern language of baseball and have learned how to connect to the modern player, right? Like players come up now with access to this information. They want it. They, they're craving it. They want their organization to provide them this level of information. And so, uh, yeah, it's just, it's watching the, you know, the Gabe Kapler have 17 coaches or whatever, like all of these things have changed in baseball. It's just really fascinating to see how fast it all happened because I think like, you know, during my early kind of baseball writing career, like the eighties, nineties, early two thousands, things didn't change that fast, right? We would rant about, Hey, maybe we shouldn't bunt with our best hitter all the time uh, for 20 years, right? And teams just kept bunting with their best hitter for, you know, a very long time. Uh, and, you know, it took, it took like, you know, generation essentially to see the adoption of some of these more, you know, sabermetric ideas into baseball and then watching like the on field staff and development and the, the ability to drive information to players change in like five or six years has just been fascinating to see how quickly that happened. You're right. Things have evolved so quickly. Is there always going to be a next? Is there always going to be somewhere to go next? I think so. I mean, like the, the player movement space is like, uh, we're scratching the surface of that. This is not a solved problem. There's no organization out there that knows how to keep their pitchers 100% healthy or how to give everyone an extra 10 miles an hour of velocity uh, or to give every pitcher nine extra inches of sweep on their slider or whatever, right? Like everyone is trying to figure out these problems. We are very early on in the player movement analysis space. And then I think what we've seen is like, you know, Houston 10 years ago did a really good job with the ball tracking stuff. One of the reasons they've had success over the last decade is they were an early mover in that space. Uh, but now the rest of the league has caught up to them. And now we're pivoting towards other things. Someone will come out of the player movement space as the leader in the space and understand kinetics and kinematics better than everyone else and get some huge advantages and probably see their p- players stay healthier. And then that 
people will hire their coaches and people will hire their guys and that will spread across the league. And then you'll need something else, right? So like the investment in this space will get you an advantage for five to 10 years, but there will always be something else, something that someone isn't working on. Uh, I don't think baseball is ever going to be a solved problem. Um, you know, even like something like chess, right. It's been around for hundreds of thousands of years. There's still people working on new ideas of how to play chess. Right. So uh, I think there's always going to be a next thing. Uh, and I, I look forward to what the next few things are because they're, they're always really fun when you see baseball make these, huge kind of evolutions on itself i think we could ask what they are but you won't tell us right now right? Uh, i think, I think I, one i can't tell you and two i'm not smart enough to know what they are i'm just going to try and hire the smart people who uh who find out those ideas and then we'll try and keep them in seattle as long as we can well i'll ask this i mean when we talked about the the advances in technology and how that's helped players i mean that is seeming to really be skewing to the pitching right now when does that come around when do the hitters get some help I think the hitters are starting to catch up, right? Like there was definitely a run there for a little while where every pitcher was just coming out throwing 97. Now they throw 94 mile an hour sliders, which, you know, that wasn't a thing. Uh, I think hitters are now figuring out that like there are resources, there are ways for them to go train. Uh, obviously driveline in our backyard is, is probably the most famous, but there's, you know, all over the country, there's people working with hitting mechanics and hitting ideas, hitting philosophies. And I do think over the next couple of years, you know, we've even seen like, uh, you know, I'll say like one of the most common kind of ways that teams adjusted over the last five years is to like throw more high fastballs, right? Like that was kind of the way baseball went. It was like throw the carry high, high fastball. It gets above the scoopy swing, the launch angle swing. You can miss the bat at the top of the zone. All these hitters now are training to hit the high fastball, right? And so like we've seen the high fastball does not play nearly as well as it did three, four years ago, right? Like last year the high fastball was a hittable pitch in major league baseball when five years ago this thing was just like you know if you threw a good carry fastball you could get a 40 percent strikeout rate um i do think the hitters are are catching up right and so like as now every pitcher is adding you know like these crazy 93 mile an hour sliders they will train themselves how to hit hard breaking balls so it's like a new pitch in baseball right like the mid 90s breaking ball is not a thing that they historically had to learn how to hit they will learn how to hit it and they will adjust um hitters are smart and they're they're uh financially motivated to learn how to hit these pitches. I do think in the next year or two, we're going to see hitters catch up. And I think offense will come back in some ways, whether the rules changes allow like the shift, allow hitters to have some advantages or just the monetary incentive for, for players to get better. Right. And I do think hitters will catch up in the next couple of years. Dave, this has been so fun. We appreciate you giving us a lot of time tonight. We really appreciate it. Thanks so much for the visit. This was fun. Get ready for those innings. Get ready to call those innings in spring training. <laughs> I will, I'll do my best. I'll try and come up with uh, something that will honor Dave and, and not be too embarrassing. Yes, this is happening. This is All happening. Right. Sure. <laughs> there it is. Dave Cameron. We'll come back more hot stove right after this. This is the Hot Stove Show on Seattle Sports. Presented by Hatback Bar and Grill. Streaming live on the Seattle Sports app and at seattlesports.com. Welcome back to the Hot Stove. Gary Hill, Shannon Dreher with you as we get a chance to visit with the pride of Portland. It's Cooper Hummel, the newest <laughs> Mariner with us. Cooper, it's great to have you here. Thanks for the time. We really appreciate it. Great to be here. Happy to happy to be with Seattle. So, how excited are you to be a Seattle Mariner? Oh, uh, it, I, it's a dream come true. I mean, I grew up with the Seattle Mariner logo painted on my bedroom wall, the teal baseboards, Navy wall. I was uh, a diehard fan uh, growing up. I mean, uh, so to, to put the, the colors on and put the uniform on is uh, going to be really special for me. I'm, I'm very excited. So to kind of complete the picture, you are an Oregon a native that you grew up in Lake Oswego, it sounds like. And how did the yep. Mariners come across your radar? What's your what's your first memory of them? 
Oh man. Uh, so I was born in Portland. We actually moved up to Seattle for a year. Um, I actually remember going to the kingdom. I had this vivid memory of being in the kingdom, uh, with an, a white Alex Rodriguez, uh, player t-shirt. And I wore that thing until it had holes in it. I mean, I'm telling you, like, it was like three sizes too big. I was like two or three. Um, and then wore it. And, yeah. And, until it was ratty and just my mom just threw it out because it was, it was so old. Um, but yeah, that was like my first vivid memory. Um, but yeah, going to games growing up, uh, I mean, it just T-Mobile, not well, Safeco Field is what I know it as, but I can't say that anymore. Um, so T-Mobile is like one of my favorite ballparks, just like total fan experience. And, um, you know, just being there is, uh, is just special. I don't know how to describe it. Who were your favorite guys growing up? Uh, Ichiro was my favorite player. Uh, I loved watching Griffey, uh, but you know, he was gone by the time I like really was appreciating baseball. Um, so those early two thousands players, the, the Mike Cameron's, the Ichiro's, the John Olaruch, Jay Buhner. Um, those were the guys that I followed. I had, I mean, I'm telling you like every player t-shirt we, my mom, my mom and dad just moved recently and they were pulling old boxes out and I've got, you know, a Jamie Moyer t-shirt an Ichiro t-shirt, Kenji Jojima, uh, yeah, I, I had the whole lot, uh, Freddie Garcia. Yeah. But each year I was my guy. Uh, I loved watching him, loved the way he played. <laughs> great to play, great to watch him. And, uh, pretty cool that I'll get a chance to work with him this spring. Who were you when you were a little kid in the backyard? Which, which player were you out there? Oh, I was each year. I would do his, uh, you know, the bat, the bat pointed at the pitcher straight, you know, straight up and, uh, knees close together. Oh yeah. I I would try to mimic it as best as I could. Uh, there's no one quite like him. Uh, I, I attempted the Griffey, uh, the, the waggle is in there, but it's not the same, the same sweet swing. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Well, your story is pretty remarkable. You've got to tell us about when you were in high school, you don't have to name names, but your junior varsity coach, what the baseball coach said to you when you were in high school. (laughs) Basically, so freshman year, I was straight up told I'll never amount to anything in baseball, literally to my face. And I was like, excuse me, you know, as a as a freshman in high school going into sophomore year, like that's something that you're like, you know, it, it kind of breaks you. But yeah, I was told, you know, you have to give up switch hitting. You're not big enough. You're you're just not you're just not going to do it. You're not going to make anything of it in baseball. And I I left. I went to the rival high school. The next year, sophomore year was really good. Uh, that coach actually came up to me the next year and was like, okay, I, I've kind of made a mistake. Like he ate his own words. Like I'm good with him now. It was a very interesting situation, but yeah, I won't name names, but it was, it was quite a, quite a situation when I was told I would never amount to anything in baseball. Those words have stuck with me every day. And probably, you know, and in, in what you have chosen to do as a profession, it's not the easiest thing. And, and you can be kind of dealt with that day in and day out. That is something that you have to face. Getting that lesson early on, how did that prepare you for the journey of becoming a big leaguer? Yeah, I mean, it kind of started earlier than even high school. Like, I felt like it happened in Little League. I was the, you know, the shortest kid on the team, had to fight my way. Like, I was... I was talented and I tried, you know, I was a hard worker. Um, you know, even from when I was little, um, my dad always joked, he fed the monster as much as he wanted to be fed. Meaning he would go throw balls for an hour, you know, two hours if I wanted to hit. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, you know, I was the shortest one, you know, so we were with the all-star team. I wasn't always the one playing all the time. So I had to find a way to get on the field more. 
um, you know, in high school being told that. And then um, even like later in high school, like when I'm like, I'm raking my junior and senior year, I'm like uh, a first team all state. I was player of the year for our, our league. And I had college coaches basically be like, you're not big enough to play college baseball, division one baseball. You're not good enough. Like Santa Clara's coach straight up told me like, you don't do anything well. Like you're not, you're not special. Like you don't do anything above, you know, what another guy does. You need to be 30 pounds heavier. And I'm like, I'm like, I don't know if we just watch the same game, but like I I'm a junior senior in high school and I'm like hitting balls off the wall. Like it's, it's nobody's business. Like, why don't you get me into a strength program in college? I, I don't know. Like I always believed in myself, but you know, it just took one guy to give me a chance. And even in college at UP, um, you know, things happen. I was dealt a, a bad hand a little bit my freshman, sophomore year, had to fight for more playing time. And, um, you know, even in the minors, like different things have happened. And I don't think anything for me has ever been handed to me. And it's, I'm very blessed that it's been that way mm. because it wouldn't make me the player I am if it wasn't because of that. You know, I've had to fight for different things in pro ball. I was inactive for 40 games my first year in pro ball. I thought I was getting released and here I am. <laughs> How much do you appreciate where you are right now, given everything you've been through to get here? Oh, I mean, I, I appreciate it, you know, it, more than I can even express. Like this is, this is all I wanted to do since I was, you know, three years old, you know, when you're in preschool and kindergarten and first grade and you do that, you know, when I grow up, I want to be a one, two and three, you know, whatever it is, baseball player, major league baseball player was always on there. You know, the other two would always change, but major league baseball player was always on there. And it's all I wanted to do. And so um, to be able to say that I've accomplished that is one thing, but to, you know, continue to have it be my profession and make it, you know, even bigger is like, that's the end goal. It's like, keep it going. Um, there's a lot of appreciation, but I know that, you know, job's not done yet. Mm. You know, we got a, we got a lot of, a lot of more story to write. And that story is going to be written now in a Mariners uniform. I, I can't even imagine when you heard the news, the trade was to the Mariners, but uh, what are, what are some of the conversations you've had since? Uh, I mean, you know, friends and family are beyond excited that I'll be up there. You know, as far as like from a coaching's perspective and uh, stuff like that, it's just, you know, uh, really looking forward to getting on the field together and, and working together. And then, you know, the the end goal is a World Series. I mean, I think that's that's discussed amongst all players. It's discussed amongst coaches. Um, you know, we're the goal is to win. And so uh, whatever each one of us can do, including myself, to help the team win, uh, that's kind of all that matters. You're really interesting when you look at everything you do defensively. There's not many guys that can do what you do. Outfielder, catcher, you've done a little bit of everything. What do you consider yourself? Uh, I I kind of say just catcher, outfielder. Uh, yeah. If someone asks, sometimes I joke, oh, I'm a super utility guy. Like I, <laughs> I do it all. You just give me a glove. You know, I, I didn't do a lot of first and third base last year. I've done it in years past. It's definitely something that if, you know, if my number's called and they say, Hey, go to third, like I'll do it. Uh, I would like to take some ground balls beforehand and not just get thrown out there. But um, yeah, but like I, I, I've done it since I was little where I was just like, I don't care where I play. I just want to play, mm. you know, want to help the team win. I want to, I want to play. I hate losing. I it just, something about it just drives me absolutely freaking nuts. And if me playing a position is going to help us win, that's all I care about. And I love to hit. So if the more times I get to to hit and that means I got to go play 
you know, if I got a DH or play second or third or first or left or right catch, like I'll do it. I don't know if you want me a short, but, but <laughs> I, I'll, I'll do it. <laughs> Mariners have a super infield infield coach, but I don't think you're going, I don't think they'll go there. <laughs> no, no, I don't think so. I think JP's got that locked up. <laughs> Okay, so you moved all your stuff from the Diamondbacks facility over to the Mariners facility, and we are just itching to get down there. I mean, if we could get on a plane and be there tomorrow, we would. Uh, if we did, what would we see? What has the scene been at the facility since you've been there? Uh, uh, until, you know, beginning of last week, it's been just me and uh, Sam Haggerty. <laughs> no one else has been here. And Haggerty and I have been working out, hitting, getting our lifting in. Yeah, other than that, it's been silent uh last week cal raleigh showed up uh matt brash uh trevor gott's been here a little bit a buddy of mine with arizona uh, jb bukoskis just uh showed up this week after he got picked up off waivers so uh, it the clubhouse is filling up a little bit more and but yeah just a bunch of guys getting their work in and uh you know trying to get ready for season uh tomorrow we got some bullpens going on it's kind of cool we got me cal and hags um hitting right now together and uh, just picking each other's brains trying to you know three switch hitters trying to figure out uh, each other's swings and what, you know, what one thing we can build off of it. You know, you spent your first time in the big leagues last year. What did you learn about yourself during that stretch in the majors? Well, I learned I need to, you know, take it easy sometimes, you know, I, I'm a very high energy guy and I've known this about myself in the past, but like when I'm at my best, I'm calm, cool, collected, like not caring I know that sounds really bad to say you don't care, but like you're doing your job and you're just, you know, out there having fun. You know, the times I kind of struggled or put the pressure on myself to succeed, uh, it wasn't, it wasn't what we wanted to do, you know, kind of some rough games. And I, uh, I can pick out a game up in Cincinnati, just not a, not a good game for me. And I think I was just, you know, putting the pressure on myself to, to do some, some more than I needed to. But yeah, I think that's the biggest thing. And then I just go out and be me. Have the Mariners given you any insight on on whether you'll lean towards catcher, lean towards outfielder, or are you just going in preparing for anything? I'm prepared for anything. The inside is all, you know, play a little left, play a little right, catch a little bit, and DH a little bit. There was a brief mention of first base, but I think that was just kind of like, oh, you've done it before. Like, make sure you just have the glove. <laughs> uh, granted, we also have uh, Fran Ty France and – and uh, Evan White over there, and you know, I bet you any other of the infielders can throw a glove on if we need them to. But and, and Cal, I'm sure can do it. Yeah, I, I, it sounds to me like the bulk of the work and stuff that I'll be doing is behind the plate and in the outfield. That you know, DH. Regardless, though, it sounds like you're bringing all the gloves and all the mitts to every game, just in case. Oh, my bag is packed. <laughs> like it's freaking Costco in that bag. <laughs> Cooper, this has been so fun to get to know you a little bit. Thanks a lot for the time. We really appreciate it. And we can't wait to see you in a few weeks. Can't wait to see you then. We're really glad to be on. There it is. Newest Mariner, Cooper Hummel. We'll come back with more Hot Stove coming up right after this. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
Welcome back to the Hot Stove. Gary Hill, Shannon Dreher with you as we have a chance to catch up with one of the absolute best in the game from the Houston Astros radio team. It's Steve Sparks. Sparky, is great to chat again. How you doing? I'm doing fantastic. It's been kind of a short offseason as well for you guys. But uh, I can't wait. I mean, it's just around the corner now to get back to spring training and look forward to another season. And if, if you guys are like us, we, we feel the American League West is going to be a dogfight the whole way. It's so funny. I was just thinking about the last time we saw you, of course, was that marathon game in Seattle. <laughs> we yep. were just talking to Paul Seawald. He said he felt like they were never going to win and never lose that game. It just kept going. Does part of you think you'd still be in Seattle with that game being played? It would just never end. <laughs> I thought we'd be there right now. Yeah, we didn't think uh, <laughs> it was ever going to end. I've never seen such a well-pitched baseball game, both mm-hmm. sides. Uh, and to see Kirby step up uh, as a rookie, I remember texting a couple of you guys even during the game to say, man, how impressive as he uh, in that type of atmosphere to go out there and pitch the way he did. Uh, there was a, a lot to be admired in that game from both sides. It really was. And, uh, you know, it could have gone either way, that series. I mean, everybody's well aware that, you know, the Mariners could have swept the Astros just as easily. This seems like a question I should be asking towards the end of this, but I'll go ahead and ask it. It's one that we get the most, um, and this will mm-hmm. be from a different perspective. Uh, have the Mariners closed the gap at all with the Astros, or how much do you think they have? What do you see? I think so. You know, it, 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 when you start to look at it, it, what's going on in the division, and you look, okay, has this team improved? Has this team improved? Obviously, the Rangers have improved. I think, obviously, the Mariners have improved in a couple of different ways, not only, you know, with the addition of Tay Oscar and Colton Wong, but also just with a little playoff experience and maturation with, with George Kirby and Logan Gilbert, a couple of guys I love and get a full year of Luis Castillo. So definitely improved. So the Astros, when you look at it, I think offensively they improved just by the additions of Michael Brantley signing back and giving them a little bit more balance in their lineup. But Jose Abreu, I think, is a a fantastic addition. So offensively, I think the Astros have improved. But you can't help but think that they've taken a step back when you lose a Cy Young Award winner with Verlander. So we'll see what, you know, what Hunter Brown has in store. You know, a lot of people feel like he can step in and do a great job in the rotation. But he's not Justin Verlander, you know. And uh, whether or not he's ever Justin Verlander remains to be seen. Probably not. Who is? But. Uh, I don't know. We'll see. You know, I think what it's going to determine more than anything, Shannon, is who stays the healthiest for the longest. And when you play deep into the into October, year after year after year, that's when you have to get really creative and very smart about resting your players during the course of the season. I remember in 2016, it was a year after the Astros made the playoffs for the first time. Uh, they got they got down uh, in 2016 and they played catch up the entire season and they really wiped out their bullpen. And I'm kind of wondering in the back of my mind, did the Mariners have to push their relievers a little extra, you know, the last two months of the season to make that push to make sure they got into the playoffs and will they see a little bit of residue from that? We'll see. Uh, I've got a lot of confidence that Scott service did uh, his utmost best and, and, and you guys would know more than me, but I remember the Astros went through that, and those guys' tongues were hanging out at the very end of that season, and they didn't make it. 
it was a really interesting lead up to that, too, because the Mariners had that struggle in September and they weren't actually able to get to their high leverage relievers for about a span of about 10 days. And I sometimes wonder if that had a little bit to do with what we saw, that they got a little bit out of routine at that point, And then it was turned up pretty quickly once the postseason began. Yeah, that's possible. You know, and we were wondering, too, you know, were the Astros going to get rusty from having to sit out that first week, you know, right after the regular season? Because, you know, like you said, it's the routine that guys really rely on to, to feel good. But I, I don't think you really know. I think it's just a case by case, you know, and, and you try to figure out ways. And I think that's when you lean on your training staff and your strength trainers and all those guys to, to figure out ways to keep guys sharp. And, you know, and then you, you're going to lean a lot on your depth too. You know, is, is Bryce Miller or Emerson Hancock, those guys, are they going to be, you know, integral parts of the team this year and, and provide that depth that they might need? you know, at some point, or spell a guy or two to, to give them a blow uh, when they most need it. But the Astros have gotten creative in that way from time to time. Uh, they've got everybody in their bullpen back. They feel good about that. And uh, rotation-wise, it's it, I don't think anybody hardly needs it the first month of the season. But after the first month of the season, the Astros really flourished, I think, because they were able to utilize a six-man rotation and give Verlander a lot of rest and a lot of guys – a chance to recover, and not only a chance to recover, but maybe to push them uh, an extra inning or so every once in a while uh, when it was their turn in the rotation to give the bullpen a blow. You alluded to Verlander, which I think is so interesting because most teams losing a reigning Cy Young Award winner, it would be a devastating blow. It doesn't seem to be, though, when you look at the Astros rotation on paper. When you look at Valdez and... Javier and up and down the rotation. How much growth do you think is still in there for that young, the young part of the rotation? Yeah, well, we we can. I think Luis Garcia has a chance to to take a couple of more steps forward. Uh, certainly, Javier. I mean, it's never really been pushed innings wise yet, so uh, I, I think they're going to count on him to to get a little deeper in games. And as we see him mature, we see him start to throw less pitches to get out, which, which is helpful. But yeah, you, you look at, you know, Framber Valdez and uh, Jose Urquidy, now Hunter Brown and Lance McCullers, it rounds out to, to six guys that are good candidates to, to, to kind of mix and match a little bit and maybe skip a guy every once in a while or stick a guy on a phantom IL or whatever you need to do to keep guys going. But I, I like the, I like the six man rotation. So here's the, here's one of the reasons why Gary, is guys aren't pitching like Greg Maddox anymore. I mean, I can't think, you know, Marco Gonzalez is, is the closest guy I could think of in our division that really, you know, pitches with feel, you know, and changes speeds and, and, and moves the ball around. But everybody else, I think, is airing it out for the most part. So I think an extra day of recovery is helpful to get guys to the finish line. Um, so I think a six-man rotation is something that we we might start to see the way the guys just pitch now. Yeah, especially with a team like Houston where the goal is and the expectation is uh, the season doesn't end at the final final day of the regular season. This is a team that wants to play another month after, right? Yeah, yeah you're right. So, I mean, they, they've done it. So it's been eight years now, seven of the last eight years that the Astros have played pretty deep. You know, and, and six LCSs in a row and four World Series. So, yeah, they do expect that. And 
how could you not? You know, and so these players go in there and I don't know if it's cocky or confident or whatever, but they prepare and, and they hold guys back in spring training because they have one less month of recovery. Mm. Number one, but number two is they, they, they plan on, on doing it again. So we'll see, you know, right now the window appears to still be open because of the influx of those young Latin American pitchers that you talked of in the rotation. And uh, right now it, it looks like their offense might be a little bit better too. So, but you know, w- when it all comes to push and shove, the Astros were very healthy last year and to count on that type of health year after year uh, isn't very smart. You got to have some depth. Okay. So you're giving us the blueprint for what to do after that first year of getting there and that extra time and yeah. the extra energy that is expended. That's all good for the players. What do we do as, as broadcasters? <laughs> As broadcasters, I, I think you just you show up uh, as prepared as you can and hang on for 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 dear life. You know, <laughs> you, you never know what you never know what's going to happen on a daily basis. That's what we love about it, isn't it? So, uh, I, I think that's one of my favorite things about us. You know, and, and we've been doing this now for uh, a little over a decade together. Is being able to get a chance to you know hang out for thirty minutes before a game and talk about each other's teams and. and catch up on each other's lives and, and see what everybody's doing. But, you know, cultivating those relationships and, and getting some inside stories on the other teams too is exciting to me because it's interesting, you know, and it's, you know, it gets boring sometimes just talking about the same guys, your guys all the time. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's the, that's the most fun part about uh, playing your divisional uh, opponents. You know, we're playing each other less now, but, Man, we know each other pretty well, don't we? I mean, I know yeah. I, I could rattle off 10 guys in your your minor leagues right now just because I try to keep track of what's to come, too. So it's fun. I know the Mariners have to be excited, you know, and I think DePoto and Scott Service, all, everybody involved, the front office. Um, and I've even sat with guys in the media dining, some of the scouts and stuff. I think everybody's pointing to a, a nice long run for the Mariners to, to be contenders year after year. What about on your end? Some curious things. And we, we were getting inklings of it when we were in Houston at the end of the year, but some big changes in the front office, uh, running without a GM right now. It looks like they're putting yeah. Jeff Bagwell out as the face of all this, who's certainly a lot more conventional and traditional, it sounds like, than the numbers. Ba- What's going on? Where is this going? And what is behind it? I think, you know, I'm not sure when you guys are going to run this, but I think sometime this week, and this is just my opinion, but I, I starting to hear some rumbling. I think they're going to announce a new GM this week. So it's probably, probably by the time this airs, you know, maybe Thursday or Friday, the Astros are going to have uh, an announcement and put somebody at the helm and we'll kind of go from there. And I think more than anything, there's three assistant general managers that have kind of been running things the day to day right now and to line things up, what they need to do in player development and to get guys in, in situations and who to bring to spring training and things of that nature, because you have, you have to have done that by now. So whoever's going to walk in is probably going to be an observer for a couple months. I, that's the way I would probably play it if I was the new GM and, and try to assess what we have, not only as personnel on the field, but off the field too. And they kind of go from there. It sounds like, you know, I'm not sure. And things might change, you know, uh, it might be an opportunity for this next GM to hire his own manager, you know, after a year or two, I don't know how much longer Dusty wants to do this, but uh, right now he's on another one year contract, but um, 
I don't know. I, I just don't think there's a whole lot to mess with right now. And I think there was a personality conflict with the with the last GM. I think he did a great job, and you know he, he led the team to a World Series championship. What, what what else can you say? But I think when when push comes to shove, there's styles and there's personalities involved in, in all walks of life, and uh, those two didn't mesh that well. You mentioned player development, which I think is the most important thing a team can be doing in the game right now, whether it's a young player or a veteran player or a minor leaguer. You've been around this game for a long time. You've been around the Astros for a long time, and they've been as good or better than everyone in baseball with player development the last number of years. The results kind of speak for themselves. What's interesting, when you look at the last few years now, there's been turnover with GM. Some of the guys have gone to Baltimore. Strom has gone. There's been a lot of churn how difficult is it to keep the continuity in what has worked so well with the comings and goings of of staff what's kind of interesting about that is when they were trying to turn over from a hundred loss team and try to get things going the blueprint was it's got to start with the farm system and the farm system was last and in the major leagues at the time when when jeff luno took over and when they took this plan together to try to turn things around. He said the only way we can have sustained success was to have a good minor league system like the Mariners do now. I mean, they've got a lot of guys and I'll be darned if the Astros weren't able to turn it around and and get within the top five within a year and a half and then start to churn out some guys. And I had to look this up and I think it was during the Mariners season in the division series last year that I realized because Pena was playing so well in the playoffs, I looked it up anticipating that he might finish in the top five in rookie of the year, and he did. It's eight of the last nine years now that the Astros have had a player finish in the top five of rookie of the year. Wow. It goes back to Colin McHugh, Chris Davinsky, Alvarez, and Correa both won it. But Luis Garcia, Kristen Javier, Jeremy Payne. I'm missing a couple, but my point is it wasn't Bregman or it wasn't Tucker, a couple of first-rounders. It was guys they developed or they brought over in a – they tweaked it and they made better. So I say that because of this. The Astros aren't in the top half of farm systems now, but they're still developing players who who don't seem to skip a beat when they get to the big league level, including Jeremy Pena, who was the World Series MVP last year. And whatever they're doing as far as development, and I can give you a short little story. This is a quick one, but I had a scout tell me that he was watching some young pitchers in A-ball a few years ago for the Astros, and they were throwing sliders and breaking pitches on 2-0 and and 3-1 and every single time. And more times than not, they walked them, and they were out of the game by the third or fourth inning because they reached their pitch count. And they were getting high fives when they went in the dugout. It was like they didn't care <laughs> that they walked these guys. And I'll be darned if that wasn't Christian Javier, that wasn't Luis Garcia, Jose Urquidy, and Framber Valdez, guys that do that routinely at the big league level now. So they're developing these guys to do what they need to do at the big league level despite the results in the minor league side. Sparky, that is some great insight. We appreciate the visit. The The only thing that makes me sad about the new schedule is we get to see you a little bit less this upcoming season. But we'll still see you a lot, so I'm looking forward to we it. We will. Yeah, we'll take advantage of it then. So, you know, <laughs> sometimes acid makes the, the heart grow uh, a little more fond, right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> Thanks, Sparky. We appreciate it. Great talking to you guys. Take care.
There it is, Steve Sparks from the Houston Astros broadcast team. Looking for a great spot to catch the big game? Come out to Hatback Bar and Grill, located across from T-Mobile Park. Great food and beer, plus free parking. It's a great place to be. Visit hatback.com to make a reservation. We come back, we have so much more hot stove coming your way right after this. The Hot Stove Show on Seattle Sports. Presented by Hatback Bar and Grill. Here is the stretch. The 3-2 pitch swing and a drive. Deep to right field. Stay fair. Holy smokes, he did it. Off the hit in air cafe. Cal Raleigh with a walk-off home run. How sweet it is. The Mariners end the 20-year drought on a walk-off home run by Cal Raleigh. They win the ball game 2-1. And the Mariners are going. Cal Raleigh, we'll get to that in just a moment. Welcome back. Hot Stove here every Tuesday, 7 to 9. If you missed anything tonight, you can catch up tomorrow on Mariner's Pod, wherever you find your podcasts. The Mariner's promo schedule just dropped as well, jam-packed with can't-miss giveaways, a Julio bobble, a J.P. Funko Pop, the Clinch Cal Bobble, which is very timely, a Geno bottle opener, seven fireworks nights and more. Check out the full lineup and get your tickets at Mariners.com slash promotions. Thanks for being here with us. And you get a fun surprise as we have a special surprise guest with us tonight. Speaking of the clinch and Cal Raleigh, we have Cal Raleigh on the line with us tonight. I want to start with this. I, I don't know of any other way to ask this, but... How has your life changed since you've become kind of a Seattle folk hero? <laughs> I uh, I don't I don't, I wouldn't say nothing's really changed. I just say a lot more people recognize my face these days, and uh, you know I get a lot of congratulations and uh, a lot of uh, thank yous and all that good stuff. What does that mean to you when you hear that from people? It means a lot, you know, I, you know, whether it's getting a message uh, through social media or, you know, seeing somebody on the street and, you know, especially people from Seattle and, you know, hearing how much it means to them that the drought's over and how much where they were and how they've been a fan through, you know, the past 20, 21 years of the drought. And, you know, to hear that just, it made me happy that, you know, not just me, but, you know, the team could, you know, pull it off and, uh, we could uh, we could bring back playoff baseball to Seattle. The home run that you hit, how long did it take for it to sink in? How big that was for the region for the fans. I'm gonna be honest. I don't even know if it's completely sat in <laughs> yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's um, you know I still kind of get goosebumps thinking about it and just thinking about how special that moment was with everybody and. It's so fun to look at the video and look at your face as you round first base. What was going through your mind in that moment? Honestly, I don't even know what was going through my head. It was just kind of, it was just so crazy and so, I mean, just thinking about so many things going on and seeing the different. And the one thing I remember is just seeing the different faces of everybody when I was looking at towards the dugout and seeing everybody's reaction and then 
kind of running first and looking up towards the left field bleachers and just seeing everybody go crazy. And I just kind of put my hands on the head and was like, oh, my God, I can't believe that just happened. <laughs> it's incredible. Uh, when you think back, it, obviously there was that moment. What, what are kind of the other moments that stick out during that entire run last year? Yeah, I mean, there's a there's a bunch of moments. You know, there's some there's some good moments, there's some bad moments. But that's kind of what makes a 162 game uh, season uh, so uh, special. Um, you know, I think about you know the the crazy game we had new uh, series we had in New York against the Mets when we took two or three from them and uh, they were kind of rallying a late inning. I think of you know. When we were in Texas and we finished out right before the All Star break, going on that uh, fourteen was a fourteen game win streak. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. I think that's one of them. I think I think back to you know multiple walk offs, whether it was you know, Gino or whether it was uh, Julio or you know stuff like that. And um, obviously, that was uh, super super crazy, super special. You know, Carlos is another one who's uh, who came through in the clutch and just how many of those close tight games we had. How much did you learn about yourself last year? I learned a lot. You know, you go through some like I said, some ups and downs, especially in those long seasons and uh, you know, it's uh it's not always easy. So especially getting sent down and, you know, kinda having to reset and kind of figure out, you know, where do we go from here and um, you know, I think it was all in all is for the better. Given everything you did, all the success you had last year, how do you go into this season? How are you thinking about this year for you individually? I don't think we try to come out and do too much. I think uh, we have a good plan. We have a good system. And I feel like guys are going to be on the same page again and know what we need to do. And um, I think we go play. Um you know, I don't think I think the worst thing we do is try to press or try to do more. I think uh, we have a good plan in place and just let our guys go play and let the rest take care of itself. Um, obviously, we know we we have some some work to do to catch up to the Astros, obviously in division, but um, you know that just comes comes with the territory. So we'll be ready to go by spring training, and I think everybody understands the goal this year. I gotta be honest; there were times. We knew you were dealing with the thumb in your hand, and there were times the last few weeks where, you know, you'd get a Castillo 99-mile-per-hour fastball, and we were wincing looking at, at what you were dealing with, what you were going through. How did you do that, given the severity of the injury you had and catching? We know what a brutal position that is. How difficult was that down the stretch? Yeah, I mean, honestly, it wasn't easy. But, you know, I think kind of what pushed me through was just you know knowing knowing my uh my teammates and all the you know staff and the fans and everybody in the organization you know they're counting on us and you know uh I just wanted to do my part and just try to help the team out any way I could and uh especially down that stretch when we were so close to getting in and uh to keep advancing in the playoffs we talked so much about what you did offensively but man you had a great year behind the plate, and you had a great pitching staff to catch. How much fun is that staff, just the pure stuff that you get to catch each and every day? Yeah, I mean, I it's it's very disgusting the kind of stuff we have. Uh, <laughs> you know, whether it's the rotation or the or the bullpen. So they're, uh, 
it was a special group and you know we're gonna have some guys coming back and some new faces as well and you know i'm really excited to get to get back into it and to uh to catch these guys with a healthy thumb this may be an impossible question but you get to see all of these firsthand who's got the nastiest pitch on the staff one that you really wouldn't want to face very often I don't know. That's a tough question to answer because they're all, you know, special in their own ways. Mm. Uh, you know, we got a lot of a lot of different different looks. I think that's something that we do a good job of. We have different guys that do different things really well, and uh, I think uh, that's what kind of makes our guys unique. One of the one of the great videos that came from the run, <laughs> the elementary school. <laughs> celebrating uh, you went and visited the elementary school didn't you the classroom i did i did, I did yeah. <laughs> you got to tell us about that about seeing them in person it was awesome uh you know i had somebody i can't remember who it was showed me the video my been my mom but uh just seeing them chant the name and them watching the playoff <laughs> game and how happy they were i i knew i had to go i had to go see those guys and surprise them and you know, uh, I'm glad I got to do that for them. So I was in the team store the other day, and you know, the, all the jerseys are hung up, and you see everyone's jerseys there, including a big dumper jersey is now hanging up in the Mariners team shop. So when did you embrace the nickname? I guess I've, I've had the nickname now since I got called up, but I guess it didn't really kind of catch on <laughs> until – uh, middle middle of the year this past season, so um, you know it's not it's not the nickname I thought was going to be. But <laughs> it, uh, I embraced it. <laughs> I embrace it, and uh, it's uh, I'll take anything I can get. What are you most excited about for next year? Looking ahead, yeah, I'm just excited to build off what we did this past year. Um, you know, as great as it great as it was at the time and everything like that, I think uh, we all know what what challenge lies ahead and you know now we kind of have a target on our backs and people uh kind of know about us now so um you know we're gonna come out and come ready to play every every single day and you know like i said try to get back to the playoffs because it's never easy and once we get there you know we uh we know what we have to do now well, Cal, it was really great to catch up. I hope you enjoy the rest of your off season. Can't wait to see you in, in the spring. Thanks again for the time. We really appreciate it. For sure. Thank you. All right. There it was. Cal Raleigh will come back. Shannon Dreyer and I will wrap things up here as Hot Stove continues right after this. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. The Hot Stove Show on Seattle Sports. Presented by Hotback Bar and Grill. And now the 3-2 on the way to Cal. Swing and a drive into right field. This one is going. It is going. It is gone. Goodbye baseball. Cal Raleigh. A two-run home run has just 
shock the fans here at Rogers Center. It's now the Mariners three and the Blue Jays nothing. We are in the top of the first inning. Number 28 on the year for Cal and number one in the postseason for Cal Raleigh. A three nothing Mariner lead and holy smokes and a mile my what an at bat by Cal Raleigh. Back one final time. It's the hot stove. You can catch us every Tuesday night, 7 to 9 p.m. Oh, Shannon, I really enjoyed catching up with Cal Raleigh. (laughs) He's a celebrity now. You think about, and the further we get removed, I think, Shannon, from the clinch, the home run that clinched it, I mean, that's a top five, top three, top two wherever you put it in Mariners history and everyone maybe has it in a different spot but it's one of the great moments in this franchise's history without question you can close your eyes and see the whole thing in front of you just at at any point and the hand over the head oh my gosh what have I done is just one of the greatest shots I think uh, ever but um, it's been so fun to watch his path to see uh, the responsibility he's taken on uh, the accountability that he has taken on that yes he will handle this pitching staff yes he will manage two swings and oh by the way he's got Hero in the back pocket Mm -hmm. as well and then the stuff that he's in the community and he has quickly become a fan favorite and i'll tell you this much my mom patty dreyer got a cal raleigh jersey for christmas nice (laughs) that was the one and uh it's i think we'll see a lot of those down in spring training but what not just a good player but a fun player to watch as well no doubt and it's just another lesson and it's a lesson that we all learn all the time about patience in this game as well cal raleigh a guy who was sent down early in the season because he was struggling and he comes up and was a big reason why the Mariners did what they did and not just the big moment but everything that led up to the moment he was such a big bat for the Mariners throughout the season. Yeah, I spoke with him in season and probably about mid-season and he just kind of laughed. I had him talking about Logan and he said that they, you know, at night as they were roommates would talk quite a bit about We learn something different every day Mm -hmm. at the big league level. It was something new every day, and that shouldn't be discounted. Yeah, that's a good point. And uh, I think that when you see how young catchers are brought along, it can take a long time. And that was a pretty incredible acceleration for everything that was on his plate. And it'll be very interesting to see how he translates that into his second season. I had so much fun in this show. I think we learned so much. The, uh, Cooper Hummel was fantastic. I mean, how excited is he to be a Mariner? Uh, Dave Cameron was amazing. This was a. I really enjoyed this one. Oh my gosh, there was no like. There were plenty of questions. It was not hard to come up with questions, and there were eye-opening things. I'm looking forward to meeting Cooper Hummel in person. Now that we know, yeah, you know, we mentioned at the top of the show, it's time we've got to meet him, and it was great to meet him. Let's meet him down in Arizona. The Dave Cameron. And uh, really eye-opening in some of the things that he was talking about and how the Mariners and the rest of baseball, we know all about the numbers and the metrics, and but they're really taking it to a, a new place, it would seem, mm-hmm. with what they're doing. Uh, and I, I can't wait to get into more of that. Um, always good to catch up with uh, the skipper and uh, Sparky. What can I say? I mean, the knowledge there, and that's got me thinking, and I'm going to go back and listen to that again and just kind of find that blueprint. What kind of comes next? Really some interesting kind of tips and tidbits for where the Mariners are, it would seem. And the Dave Cameron play-by-play is going to be my highlight of the spring. <laughs> there's there's no question. He's not getting out of that. No, no, that's happening. That is happening. He seems into it. I think 
I think it's legit. I think he's ready. Well, he said he thought maybe he would be talk radio, that he did uh-huh. not think See? did not think uh, front office. We gave him time. He can think about it. And, I think that was yeah. nice. So you don't just spring it on right. him. Yes. Yeah. Because next time he's in the booth, here. Putting him in the chair. Here's the microphone. <laughs> <laughs> Go get him. <laughs> Thanks, Shannon. This was This was fun. I think we should do it again. Uh, next week. All right. Tuesday? Yes. Seven to nine. <laughs> right here. I think I'm free. Okay, good. Hatback Bar and Grill is Soto's go-to spot for delicious bites and brews. Open for lunch and dinner every day, 11 a.m. to 10 p.m. No better atmosphere to watch your favorite team. Check out the menu and tap list at hatback.com. We will be uh, back next week, seven to nine. Thanks for being with us. That's it for tonight. For Shannon Dreyer, Gary Hill, so long. We'll talk to you next week.